you can't beat that, right? It's yeah. that, that purpose-driven that work that's similar to what we see uh, or mm-hmm. what we've taught, been taught in many religions, including, you know, Christianity and so much more, um, you know, how to be more Jesus-like. Yeah. <laughs> what would Jesus do? What would... What would Jesus do? That's exactly how, what it is. What would Jesus do in this situation? And I think if more of us actually followed that um, teaching, that we'd be in a better place. Yes. Or what would Martin do? There you go. Or what would Malcolm do? There you go. Or Fannie Lou Hamer. Mm-hmm. Or Ella Baker. Yep. Or Ida B. Wells. What? I can keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> keep, oh, my goodness. Stop yeah. it. <laughs> okay. So let's get into it. So we got you on the show for the first 30 minutes of the show. And of course... Um, in the latter part of the show, we're going to bring your opponent on, yes. right? And not for me, it's, it's I want to make it a fair thing for everybody, and 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 um, let you know and the same thing I'm going to tell him that I'm going to ask him the same exact questions that I'm going to ask you. And for me, it's it's most important that voters get a chance to listen and hear what y'all have to say and why they should vote for you. So let's let's get right into it. We're going to talk first about um, right here. In Jackson. It's good. It's not going to. It's good. Right here in, in Jackson. Um, as you know, the capital city, and I say that uh, uh, purposely, the capital city has been underfunded mm-hmm. for a long, 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 long yes. time, at least since the early 90s, yes. when we got Republicans in office that started to push their agenda and decided that they were, were going to try to starve Jackson mm-hmm. um, out. We know what the game is, yes. right? So how do you, as a representative, plan to ensure equitable distribution of resources and funding for projects that um, you hope to bring to District 72? But Jackson as a whole, Hines County as a whole. Yeah. You know, first, it's important for people to understand that a state representative is responsible for their district, Mm -hmm. but also has an opportunity to make change throughout the entire state. Mm. And we saw that this year when the chair of appropriations committee um, decided laws mm-hmm. that impact Jackson mm-hmm. in particular, though he lives two hours away from here mm-hmm. and represents a totally different district. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about how are we going to ensure resources, we first have to talk about what resources are available and okay. informing community of that. Education. Education. Mm -hmm. Too often we get into office and community members are completely left out of the loop. Mm -hmm. You know, we're only thought about as an afterthought. Mm -hmm. We need to be engaged in the process from the beginning. And so back in 2019, I led participatory budgeting with the city of Jackson, Mm -hmm. where we had residents participate, where I led residents for six different sessions. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was about a little less than 100 residents participated. Um, and in this, we engage with city council members, with uh, and, uh, persons from the mayor's administration, um, including the chief administrative officer at that time. And we guided community members through the process of the full budget, mm-hmm. of understanding what the budget of the city of Jackson was. And then guided community members through a process where they made priority recommendations around what the budget should be, where money should go. And, and so, so the first thing that I want to do is I want to ensure that we are making decisions that are in line with what our district and our communities want. Mm-hmm. And so I want to engage in a participatory budgeting process with my district mm-hmm. to first understand what are your priority areas. Let me help you understand what the current state budget is. Mm-hmm. 
what our different budget is, what we've gotten over the past several years. And then let's decide where money should go, where money should flow. And then collectively, we're going to be working inside with other state legislators to push for that money to come to us and to our district. And I think that's fascinating because I think today a lot of, um, not all, but a lot of our leaders have forgotten the importance of engaging with community members and playing that important role of educating community members about what resources are available to them. And we're not talking about resources like uh, the ability to get your trash picked up, that's important, or the, uh, the ability to make sure that you get access to people that can come and fix your That's important, that's important. But educating community members on how the process works and what resources are available to them from a black and white perspective that's in black and white law that says that you have a right to these resources, financial resources that come to your community. And I think that's what you're kind of alluding to. But it's not, it's, it's, we absolutely have a right and a responsibility mm. over the resources. Responsibility. Yes, that uh, dictate our lives. Say it loud, responsibility. Um, it oh, is, goodness. but we have to be engaged. Yeah. And so what I'm really saying is that we can no longer be left out of the process. Mm -hmm. We have to be brought in. And in order to broaden the process, you have to have somebody who's willing to bring you in. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I also want to just mention, you know, um, folks will say, um, you know, uh, folks that have been in legislation, legislator before, uh, specifically in my district, mm -hmm. might claim, like, well, the district, my district has received the most money than anyone else. But the reality is, it's far less than what we deserve. Mm -hmm. And so we not only want to see what we've seen in the past, we want to see what we deserve. We want to see more. Um, and, and so we want to see more funds brought into the district. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I will definitely be advocating on the legislative floor for more funds, but I also want to engage in uh, more than that. I want to engage in the process of identifying grants, yeah. identifying other ways that we can bring money into our district to realize the affordable housing we deserve, mm -hmm. to realize the economic development and job growth we mm -hmm. deserve, and entrepreneurship we deserve, yeah. to realize the youth programs that we deserve, and the various opportunities to maintain and keep our young people here. Because there, there's an assumption that community members know about this stuff, or that, and here's another assumption that I totally disagree with. I think that that uh, voters have um, a responsibility to engage. However, I do think that there's a responsibility that sits in the laps of our leaders. Mm -hmm. They have more information than most voters have access to. So I think our leaders have a responsibility to get out in those communities and tell voters about um, what's available to them, That's right. the resources that are available to them, to explain to them this is what's about to happen in your legislature because it's controlled by Republicans. This is going to happen and this is how I'm going to try to fight against it. Yeah. And you know, and 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 we have to recognize that as representatives, as elected officials, that we not only have more information, but we also have more access mm -hmm. to information yeah. and access to people who can actually make change, mm -hmm. right? Who can sign laws into being. And so part of that is that people respect people mm -hmm. who maintain stands, who take a stance, and who are willing to work with them, but mm -hmm. are not willing to compromise their beliefs or their values. Mm -hmm. um, people respect that. You know, I think back to my father, and I remember when uh, he, the late mayor, Shokwe Lumumba, came into office, a number of people were scared, and they wondered, well, is he going to be able to work with with uh, people across the aisle? Is he going to be able to work with white people, or is he going to, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, only work on behalf of the black people? Let me tell you. 
In Mississippi, hardship is not based on just color line. Mm. Hardship is not based on just race or class. Mm -hmm. Hardship is a Mississippi issue. Mm -hmm. And so just like my father came in and surprised everyone and was able to work with everyone, mm -hmm. I can guarantee you that I've been working with everyone already. There you go. And I'm going to continue to work with everyone, but increase those efforts. Mm -hmm. I have walked into hostile rooms since I was a little girl, never knowing who was going to accept me because my last name was a little different. And so I'm used to being in hostile environments. I also know that even in hostile environments, you can find joy and sweetness in the people who have hostility towards you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm willing to work with anyone because it is important that we really build the communities and the resources and obtain the resources that we need so that we can all benefit from a great quality of life. Now, talking about resources, let's let's move to the next topic, education, which I know yes. is near and dear to your heart. Yes. And so uh, the Mississippi legislature passed um, um, what's called the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, emphasis on the word adequate. adequate. Yeah. They passed it back in 1997. It set a formula for adequate amount of spending on each child. However, the MAEP has only been fully funded twice since then, with the last fully funding occurring in 2008. Since then, we have... Um, public school systems and counties that have lost billions and bi millions and millions of dollars um, since then. Question, how do you plan? And before I ask that question, another fact is that states around us spend on average more than $1,200 per child in students um, are um, invested in here in Mississippi, which I think is a tragedy, um, especially since we have our governor running around talking about we got a, a, a $4 billion surplus, but we can't spend it on our children. So the question is, how do you plan to confront and rectify the ongoing educational uh, disparities um, in House District 72? And just like you said, that your vote would actually impact the rest of the state, yeah. not only that district. How do you plan to, to work um, to rectify that situation yeah. if elected? Well, thank you for that question. You know, I'm a mother. Mm -hmm. I'm a mother and my child is Vintage Jacobs. Mm -hmm. I'm also a JPS graduate. Mm -hmm. Right. I went to North Jackson Elementary. I went to Bailey Magnet Middle School, uh, where at that time it was called Junior High. And I went to Murray High School. Um, so I, I have a deep and very personal desire to see a fully funded public education system. Mm -hmm. um, not just for my child, but for the future children and for our teachers and for all of our folks that are engaging in the academic profession. You know, um, and for our for our future. We can't have a great future without great education. That's just a reality. Um, you know, I, um, for a long time, I have uh, worked in education advocacy. I worked with our JPS uh, back when in 2018, the state was trying to take over our school district. I worked with JPS then to organize parents and community members to stand up and stand out against that. Um, I've also, you know, I even served as a plaintiff and one of the lawsuits that was being filed um, as a parent plaintiff. Um, you know, I've been continued to work around public education. Um, you know, this year we saw, uh, we were so close to the promised land of mm -hmm. seeing um, MAP uh, uh, legislation passed that would have provided some support for uh, a greater amount of funding. So close. And then the governor, you mm -hmm. know, decided not to sign it. So what, what, what I'll do is really to ensure that our community is fully informed, as I always will, and I think that always has to be the first step. Mm -hmm. What does community know? What is happening? 
but then also work with my fellow legislators to ensure that we are bringing forth legislation that respects the needs of teachers, of students, of parents, and do so in a way where we help even other jurisdictions understand the impact of fully funding a JPS, how it will impact the benefit and benefit them. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be more strategic in how we're building alliances and relationships. Mm-hmm. But we have to start at home. We have to first solidify and organize and come to a unified front with our legislators here in Hines County mm-hmm. and in my district, which uh, literally you know, crosses over to some of Madison County as well. Mm-hmm. We have to be a unified front in these areas. And that means that we have to respect each other and build where we have commonality and common goals. Mm-hmm. You know, it is education is not something that we can play with. No. Um, and we have to make it very, very public. We have to make the argument and the push for a fully funded public education very public, where it is something that people are talking about in their homes all the time. Mm-hmm. We have to help people really become a part of the process. And part of that is helping to inform people of what is really going on. Mm-hmm. When people really see the impact of not having a fully funded education, then people will stand up and stand with you and stand behind legislators to push for that full funding. And as we've seen over the years, that when you have community behind you, you see action, even by our governor. Mm-hmm. You think about um, in 2020 when we had um, uh, the issues in our prisons. After community members Black, white, brown, and everything in between. When we all gathered together and pushed that parchment, pushed for parchment penitentiary units to be shut down, Mm -hmm. the governor finally responded and he shut down those units. Mm -hmm. That only happened because so many people were raising their voices for folks who were suffering behind bars. We, the power of the people, the voice of the people is magnificent. And we have to have people willing to organize them, inform them, and motivate them to mm-hmm. be engaged, to motivate all of us. Because I think oftentimes we ask the wrong question when it when it when it comes to education. Some people ask the question, can we afford to invest in it at the, degree, at the degree? But this is what they ask. They ask, can we afford to invest in it at the degree that our neighbors are doing? Mm. I think the better question is, can we afford not to invest right. in it? That's right. You know, when you think about how how much of an impact educating our children has on the future of not only this state and this country, for me, it's, an, it's a common sense uh, thing. Either you invest now or you pay later. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And, and you know, um, people will say, well, you know, Jackson already gets a lot of money. Trust me. JPS, Jackson Public Schools, does not get nearly as much money as it needs. And... Well, I think that's that's the that's the big issue about uh, and why people need to be educated on the MAE program. This is a policy that our legislature passed to hold themselves accountable, saying that they were going to fund these public schools, and it's only been funded twice since two thousand and eight. And I was in I think uh, Greenville, Washington County, a few weeks ago, talking about this very issue in that one county since two thousand and eight. Yeah. They've lost over $6 million yeah. going into their public schools because the legislators, legislators on the state level who passed that legislation mm-hmm. and didn't abide by that law yeah. that they passed that the governor signed and cheated those communities out of that money. Cheated them. And it's not just Washington County, it's Hines County, yeah. it's Warren County, Claiborne County, Clark County, Ottawa County, all over the state where public schools are losing 
resources and it's, it's affecting our kids. But this is your interview. I'm going to stop. No. Me- <laughs> I mean, but you're speaking truth. You're speaking truth yeah. and truth to power. And I think we have to have more conversations like this. We do. And I think that conversations like this encourage and shift the narrative and shift what's okay. Mm-hmm. At some point, it's not going to be okay to only partially fund public education. Mm-hmm. When we make enough noise, when we talk enough about it, when we make people uncomfortable about their mm-hmm. uh, ability to just uh, kind of <laughs> fund education, yeah. when we make them feel uncomfortable about it, then people begin to act. Mm-hmm. You know, our budgets, our appropriations is our moral contract. And education should be at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Teachers should be making uh, more than a livable wage. Oh, they absolutely. should be one of the highest paid people that exist, mm-hmm. right? Because they truly do create, you know, um, the future leaders. Mm-hmm. They create what our society will look like. They are they are responsible for that, you know. And our schools should be the center of our communities. Mm-hmm. They should be uh, bustling with opportunities and resources. You know, I'm really excited about the community schools project that our JPS is doing and that my organization, the People's Advocacy Institute, is engaged in, is involved in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think it'll be the first time that we'll be able to see in a long time a school that is a resource hub for that community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I just say that and I want to mention what I've been doing, because oftentimes, uh, you know, we do these interviews and oftentimes as talking to residents, I've heard residents say, well, I don't want to I don't want to hear what you're going to do. Right. People always tell us what they're mm-hmm. going to do. People never tell us what. What have you done? What did Janet Jackson say? Right. What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? Well, I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, I have been doing a lot for you, uh, District 72 and Mississippi. I've been doing a lot for you around education and being one of those outspoken and yet um, very diplomatic leaders around education. Now, let's, you mentioned earlier the making people uncomfortable. I think there are some people in our states that are, that state is very uncomfortable right now, and it's, ba- it's because of this next subject that we're going to talk about. And I think it's near, I know it's near and dear to your heart, uh, because it was near and dear to your father's heart, voting. Yes. Uh, recently, um, there was a decision by a three-judge panel of the United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. You're a lawyer. You know, like me, that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is the most conservative court um, of appeals in this country, mm-hmm. right? And they ruled that Mississippi's lifetime ban on voting for individuals convicted of certain felonies is unconstitutional because it's cruel and unusual punishment in accordance with what? Is that the Eighth Amendment? Mm-hmm. That first Come on, you got that? I'm telling you, I got it, I got it. I did not forget. So, so I think a lot of people in this state, particularly Republicans, are uncomfortable because that potentially opens up the opportunity to vote for over 200,000 Mississippians, mm-hmm. over 200,000. Yes. And most of those are black voters. Yes. Um, they could be eligible to participate in the voting process. It's November. Yeah. And especially next year, uh, when I run, shameless plug. So how do you... <laughs> Call it out. There you go. How do you envision expanding voting rights in Mississippi and promoting voter engagement, knowing that this opportunity is right there. Yes. And I don't, I don't think people understand how significant it is. It's huge. It is huge. I'll tell you, people who are formerly incarcerated are mm-hmm. excited and already mm-hmm. beginning to register. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to be careful Yeah. because Mississippi hasn't adopted the ruling fully yet. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. so uh, they're already trying to figure out ways to they prevent are. it. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so we got to be careful. We got to protect our folks even as they register to make mm -hmm. sure that they don't uh, be penalized for registering. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I'm excited. I mean, this is this is one of those issues that I've been working on for a very long time, mm -hmm. and I've had the benefit to work with both. Um, Mississippi Votes, as well as One Voice Mississippi on these issues, mm -hmm. but also through my organization, the People's Advocacy Institute, and a number of uh, organizations that focus on people who are uh, formerly incarcerated that are returning home. You know, the denial of the right to people formerly incarcerated of their right to vote is a denial of their full citizenship. It's and the most valuable thing you have, currency is. you have. Yep, it absolutely mm -hmm. is. And, you know, um, uh, you know, this this ruling, let me just tell you that before this ruling came out back in 2020 and mm -hmm. in 2021, um, I was already working with groups mm -hmm. to put on the ballot as a ballot initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, I was working to put on the ballot as a ballot initiative rights restoration, mm -hmm. um, which would have a rights restoration amendment to our Constitution, which would have allowed the same thing. Right, which would have allowed these 200,000 people who are formerly incarcerated and have been barred from voting the opportunity to, for the first time, register and cast their vote. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something that is very dear to my heart. And so one thing that I'll do for sure is to continue to organize communities around this particular issue. And to follow the lead of those that have been impacted by it the most. Uh, one campaign that we we really pushed uh, last year and the year before was a campaign where formerly incarcerated people really pushed for, listen, vote for me. If you don't want to vote for yourself, at least vote for me because I can't vote, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is such an important piece. Um, but part of the work we do is also try to get expungements for people so that they can vote again. You know, we have to let this Fifth Circuit decision be known broadly throughout our communities so that we in Mississippi have to accept it mm -hmm. and have to be held to task to ensure that our communities develop. So I already have some legislation drafted that would allow for an amendment of our constitution to mm -hmm. actually... Um, Hold up a second, huh? mm -hmm. You just said, did you say, say you already have yes. legislation? We've got two minutes before 30 minutes. Yeah. I want to hear what you guys yeah. said. You already got legislation drafted. You know, we worked with a number of attorneys from various different legal advocacy groups, mm -hmm. um, including Forward Justice, um, to really make sure that we uh, were being responsible in what legislation looked like here in Mississippi. We didn't want to see legislation that would put us in the same situation that Florida's in, where when they passed rights restoration for people formerly incarcerated, they then pretty much revoked it for more than half of those people by saying that you could not vote, you could not register if you didn't, if you hadn't already met all of your fees and fines and or you were still on probation or parole, right? And so we looked at how do we develop legislation in Mississippi that does not bar people even after they've already paid their debt by spending time inside of a prison cell. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have legislation and legislation that we vetted with several folks and included people who have been formerly incarcerated in the process because we always have to include the people most impacted by yeah. the, the process. Yes, yeah. because I, in, in, in this country, it, 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 um, it makes no sense that you can go to jail, you can be punished for a crime that you commit. Yeah. We have rules, and people have to abide by those rules. But it should not be the case that once you've done your time, you pay for your crime, that you still get punished for the rest of your 
like it's hard for you to get housing yeah. oftentimes as a formerly incarcerated person you cannot access housing on your mm -hmm. own you cannot you are not allowed the same mm -hmm. amount of uh, food benefits or other mm -hmm. social benefits as someone who is not formally incarcerated mm -hmm. uh, it's very hard for women who have been incarcerated to regain uh, custody of their children even after they have proven um, their fitness um, we have seen, you know, uh, people have an extremely hard time with mental health services. So, look, man, that 30 minutes went by fast. It did, it did. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Rakia Lamuba, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to come back with her appoint, uh, uh, opponent. Yes. But at the end of this thing, each of you are going to get an opportunity to do a wrap-up statement. So don't leave. Okay. Stay. You're going to get your opportunity to wrap up at the end. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. So welcome back to You Talk, I Listen, We Do. We have uh, Attorney Justice Gibbs in the studio. It's so good to have you here. Um, let me get myself together here because I've been wanting to interview this, this brother for, uh, for a while now. Um, well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Yes, sir. So he's a homegrown candidate uh, seeking to represent Mississippi's House District 72. He's a graduate of Murrah High School. In 2013, he took a pivotal seat on the Jackson Public School Student Board of Trustees, pioneering state of the school, which addresses and bridges the gap between students and their elected leaders, which I think is interesting. He served as the president of the Jackson Teen Chapter of Jack and Jill of America, Incorporated. Uh, Mr. Gibbs earned his bachelor's degree in political science with a minor in legal communications from Howard University. Okay. Thank you. I ain't gonna say the other part because I'm not, I'm not a Howard alum, but I know, I know you tried to get me to do it. You tried to trick me. <laughs> and he received his law degree at the University of Mississippi School of Law, and he's now running to represent House District 72 in the Mississippi Legislature. Welcome to the show, Mr. Gibbs. How are you today? Man, I'm doing wonderful, and I appreciate the invitation to come on uh, <laughs> to just share a little bit more about myself, my platform, mm -hmm. and the importance of this moment. It is a very important moment. Very important. And I tell, uh, last week we uh, interviewed two uh, candidates that were running against each other, and I get excited about this because I think this is what um, voters want and what they need. They want strong candidates to compete against each other, not in a vicious manner, but present uh, solutions to issues that affect their lives. And for voters at, at the end of the day to be, be able to choose between those two. And I think that's what's going on now. And so I commend you and your opponent for getting in the race and getting to this point and coming on the show to talk to voters. So let's get right into it. Let's do it. Okay. And I'll ask you the same questions that I asked her. You know that um, our capital city of Jackson has been underfunded for years, for decades, where um, it hasn't been receiving the resources that it, it should get um, by previous Republican administrations. So the question is, how do you as a representative plan to ensure equitable distribution of resources and funding uh, for projects not only in your district, but, but for Jackson as a whole? Yeah. Well, first, let me tell you that... Um, you know, I want to spend some time on this question because this is a top priority of citizens that live within District 72, mm -hmm. knocking on so many doors mm -hmm. and uh, the residents speaking about issues that they can see from their front porch, mm -hmm. issues regarding the infrastructure 
uh, city streets that are, have gone dilapidated within their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those things are really, really, really uh, concerning the community. Um, and they ask the question, well, why, why is it that when we ask our elected officials about this mm -hmm. uh, and they come back and they don't give us uh, the answer that we are seeking, which is state allocated funding for special projects. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very difficult job because you have to go to the legislature and you have to make partnerships and collaborative efforts with people who don't agree with you, people who don't look like you, they may live in a rural area while you live in an urban area. Mm -hmm. And you have to gain their support mm -hmm. in order to bring back the largest amount of state allocated funding that you can. And not only that, but you also have to build a relationship with House leadership. Mm -hmm. Because of the dynamics and the way in which the legislator is structured and mm -hmm. set up, which I do believe we need to get to the conversation of how we construct that. But all of those entities have the ability to take away the appropriations that you worked so hard to try to get and retain for the, for the previous three months of the legislative session. Mm -hmm. So I'm going in with a plan. Mm -hmm. I've already um, consulted with a number of legislators who are going to ensure that the continuation of District 72 being one of the top districts in the entire legislature receiving allocated appropriations mm -hmm. uh, will continue under my leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, you do that with collaborating with the, the Democrat caucus, the leaders of that caucus, um, as well as those within the Hines County delegation, as well as those who are on the other side of the aisle. Because there are times where you will work to bring something back to your community, where you've gone to the homeowner meetings, you've gone to the community meetings, and you have told them about what you are working on. Not a promise, but you have told them. Mm -hmm. And you have to answer to them at the end of that session. Mm -hmm. So that's where my focus is. When I talk to voters and they say, this is what we want you to do. You know, we can't focus on the broader issues, which we want to, because our local issues have not been addressed. And I think that's that's one of the important things about uh, the leadership that's going on in our country. Not with everybody, but with some people in leadership positions in our state and in our country, is they don't, they're not talking about one of the, the core things that you talked talk about. Being able to go out to communities, educate community members on what's available, what you're going to try to do over the next four years, Trying to do that, and even if you fail, giving voters the opportunity to judge you after that four-year period. Because right. all you can do is work and try. That's right. And that, and that involves working across the aisle with other leaders from the other, other side of the other party. Right. It's inevitable, especially when they have a supermajority. Majority. Right. And, you know, we, we know what we want. We know what it is that, um, that, that has been misplaced for so long, particularly in majority Black and majority Democratic state legislative districts in the state, mm -hmm. right? We have gotten a, um, a, a, a lesser amount of the pot, right, being given to our communities. But we have to be practical, mm -hmm. practicable. We have to be realistic mm -hmm. in trying to figure out how do we increase what we have been given. Mm -hmm. And as I say before, prior to running for any office, you have to do the research. Mm -hmm. You have to understand why two Democrats with the same voting record, one gets more allocated funds than the other. Mm -hmm. One is being able to touch and remediate issues in their local communities more than someone else is. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I've been talking so much about the strategy, mm -hmm. the maneuverability, when to bring up certain issues and when to not bring them up. If it means that we're going to be impacted during a certain period where these issues can be affected by House leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we are strategic, and again, you know, I remember you talking a few weeks ago on your show about the strategy that uh-huh. the other side of the aisle used, how they're in back rooms right now talking about these issues and right. trying to come up with ways in which, well, if they come up with this idea, we're going to come up with this, mm-hmm. right? We're going to be a step ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that I'm working on right now prior to being elected, speaking mm-hmm. with those members of a multitude of, of, of uh, delegations to make mm-hmm. sure that we have an answer mm-hmm. uh, because we have to answer to our constituents when it comes to appropriating funds. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing all of that. So let's move on to our next uh, subject, because I know it's something that's important to you, um, education. Um, and the same question I asked uh, your opponent a few minutes ago, the Mississippi legislature passed what's called the Mississippi Adequate Education Program yes. in 1997, setting a formula for an adequate amount of spending on each child. However, the MAEP has only been fully funded twice since then, with the last full funding occurring in 2008, which resulted in the public schools across our state losing millions of dollars due to unmet legislative commitments. In fact, Mississippi's public school students receive funding at a rate among the lowest in the nation, even trailing every single one of our neighbors, states like Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, and Tennessee, which pay, which spend on an average $1,200 per student more than the state of Mississippi does. We wonder why we're at the back of the line on so, right. many, so many things. So right. here's the, uh, the question for you. How do you plan to confront and rectify this issue not only to benefit uh, people in House District 72, but your vote uh, could potentially have an effect on students all over the state. Absolutely. Well, as we know, it always begins at the committee level. Mm. You know, the House Education Committee is the gatekeeper mm. to a lot of the bills that actually advance onto the House schedule. Mm. And it, it is, again, the speaker who decides what bills go from the schedule to get to the House floor. But what I would do is, a, again, partnership and collaboration with Representative Holloway, mm-hmm. who is now the ranking member on the House Education Committee. Instead of speaking out on these issues, I want to sit on the committee. Mm. And the reason why I want to sit on the committee is because I'm only, what, nine, ten years removed from mm. Jackson Public Schools, mm. where MAEP was supposed to supplement and benefit uh, our school district. Mm. But look at what we've seen the governor do this legislative session. Mm. Instead of actually infusing the amount of money when we have state surplus, when we have all of these things that conservatives brag about, mm. instead of infusing that money into a system where when it was crafted in 1997, the language says that you shall fully fund MAEP. Mm-hmm. And we know the Supreme Court construes shall as you must. It is a requirement. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that and evading law, He's put hundreds of million dollars into the Department of Education, Mm -hmm. and he's gone around the state parading around talking about how he's such a public education advocate while not being honest and transparent with the citizens Mm -hmm. and stating that because I put it in the Department of Ed and not MAEP, there are no parameters. Mm -hmm. There are no ways in which the Department of Education or the legislature has to ensure Mm -hmm. that the hundreds of millions of dollars are going to be going to the places where they most need it and that they will be most effective. That's an interesting dynamic. Absolutely. That, and that's why, I'm sorry, sir. No, no, that that he put it into almost like a shell game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it into the Department of Education, which most people would think, okay, it's in the right place. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to invest those resources into MAEP, which has 
guardrails to mm. ensure that those resources get down to public school systems. Absolutely. That is absolutely fascinating. And it's a play on words. And see, that's where right. we got to stop electing officials who continue to use sound bites to try mm. to draw in the emotions of voters like Governor Tate Reeves does all the time. Mm. You know, someone who uh, may not know the full story may say, well, we have a governor who's championing public education. No, you don't. <laughs> you have a governor that is taking your tax dollars and is allowing the people who he has appointed in these state agencies to decide where they want to put this money. Mm. So they're not putting it in underserved school districts. See, they don't want young people, young educated people serving on these committees to expose these sorts of, uh, of inadequacies that are going on. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the commercials for 30 seconds, and they, 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 they put the things across the screen, make you think that they're doing their job. Well, you need to get into the details. Yeah. They're not doing their job. Mm -hmm. And they're failing the students. Uh, for instance, the school district that I graduated from, that I started in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so interesting about District 7, too. We have a railroad that goes in the middle of our district, mm -hmm. figuratively, yeah. where we have Ridgeland High School, and then you can cross over and, and go to a Calvary High School. It's not just the amount of programs that are offered in one public school district versus another. But what about the structural differences? When we see that there's a difference in the way kids retain information based on the environment that they're in. So not only do we need to fully fund MAEP, but I think we need to also start to have a conversation about maybe an MEEP, Mississippi Equitable Education Plan, so that we can start to improve the structural means so that all students can feel like they are being treated equally in the state. And so those are some of the ideas that I like to bring to the table on the education committee. That, absolutely. Let's move on to our next topic, which I know is important to you also, voting. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely crucial. Uh, a recent decision by a three-judge panel on the United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Mississippi's lifetime ban on voting for individuals convicted of certain felonies is unconstitutional due to, due to it imposing um, cruel and unusual punishments in accordance with the Eighth Amendment. So that means potentially over 200,000 Mississippians could be eligible to participate fully in our democratic process. Question, how do you envision expanding voting rights in Mississippi, promoting voter engagement, and taking advantage of those additional 200,000 voters being added to the rolls or having an opportunity to be added to the rolls? That's right. Well, first is making sure that they, are, they receive their right, yeah. because it is their right to exercise their right to vote. Mm. Um, but we also need to do some other things legislatively. We need to ensure that we live in a state where there is no excuse absentee voting. Mm. In a district like District 72, where the median age is around the age of 66, we need to ensure that we have drive-through voting. Mm. And we have looked at how there have been study after study when it comes to the security of these different ideas and how there is no... Um, there's no concern about there being people who shouldn't be voting. And these are these are things that the, con the conservative wing continues mm -hmm. to bring up to not be the reason as to why we progress in the state. Mm -hmm. And as you stated, the 200,000 people who will be eligible to vote, that's a nightmare for them. Yeah. Because yeah. they know where those people will go and, and vote. It's a scary scenario it's for some people. Not for me, because, I mean, if, when uh, my, my estimation that... Uh -huh is if you have 200,000 people, over 200,000 people that have been denied the right to vote, denied the right to practice that constitutional right. And there's a certain party that's been pushing that for decades, for not for decades, for over a century, then those people are probably more likely to vote for the party that's been fighting on their behalf. Absolutely. 
and they don't want their good old boys to go home <laughs> when you take that Senate seat. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also another reason why they want to prevent people from going to the polls and voting. Mm -hmm. um, but but what I would do, and it's particularly on a apportionment and elections, was one of the House committees that actually discussed some of these uh, issues. I would love to serve on that committee as well, particularly as a young person. Mm -hmm. But we need to continue to broaden the conversation that is happening within the legislature and explaining how it not only helps those who may vote uh, democratically, but this is going to help everybody in Mississippi. It's going to help people who live in rural areas, people who who, who do vote uh, mm -hmm. differently than the way you and I vote. You know, and that's what we need to be focused on. How do we provide um, better access for all Mississippians when it comes to voting? Mm -hmm. Now, look at our electoral um, allotment. Mm -hmm. Right, I think we're at six. You know. Mm -hmm. When we start to bring more people into the state of Mississippi, mm -hmm. this place becomes more attractive. We become more relevant on the national scheme of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you have to make sure that we have a legislature, mm -hmm. a governor's office that is going to be right in step in line with what the people overall in Mississippi want to see done. We want to progress. We want to move forward. Mm -hmm. And I just believe that when we have more young voices in the legislature, to push these issues, we're going to continue and continue to expose what's going on, and people are going to start to wake up. But I think wake. I think young people are waking up. They are. Oh, young yeah. people are waking up to the power that they have to come out and vote right now. I think the other side has pushed some buttons, uh, particularly on issues like women's reproductive freedom, uh, access to voting. I think young people are seeing this and they're saying, you know what? What what is going on here? It's time for us to play our part. Young people like yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. On these college campuses all over this all over the state, and students that not may not even be in college. I see it um, as I move around the state. I yeah. see it, I see it, and I see it. And I think we're at a crossroads at a state as a state because of young people and because of issues like the um, the voting rights issue that was just decided in the Fifth Circuit. Although that's not um, concrete yet, our uh, current attorney, Attorney General Lynn Fitch, has decided to try to bring that question back up. Um, to the entire Fifth Circuit, but I'm hopeful that uh, it'll work out in favor of those uh, people who have felonies on their record. Absolutely. I agree with that. And again, when we continue to push those issues in the legislature, get them on the floor and talk about them, uh, we continue to expose to everybody, not just those within the district, because this is also a concern of those who live in District 72. Mm -hmm. But we need to continue to do that. And, you know, when I think about the Tennessee Three, who've been yeah. very inspiring to me, mm -hmm during my run, because they're the same ages. <laughs> they utilize certain ways to get the country as a whole, because mm -hmm. see, they're working in the, the state of Tennessee, mm -hmm. but they allow themselves to, to branch out, to bring the, the country into what they were doing, mm -hmm. uh, which then began to change the minds of people in Tennessee, because Tennessee is worried about their economy. Mm -hmm. You know, Mississippi is worried about their economy. Yeah. So we got to be strategic. And that's why, again, it's so important to build those relationships right now with those who agree with us. This is a great conversation. Great conversation. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you two minutes to wrap up. Yes, this sir. is your two minutes to talk voter, to voters that explain to them why they should vote for you. What's this, next week? Yes, sir. It's next, next week. What? Next week, this is your two minutes. Tell voters on WNPR 90, 90.1 in-house district 72 why they should vote for you. There you go. Thank you, man. Well, first, I want to thank the voters of District 72 for making me the front runner on August the 8th. And um, I've been committed to listening to you. You know, I've been to your door. I've spoken to you over the phone. And the reason why you should elect me again as your next state representative is because I always will have my view 
on the people of what District 72 wants to see in their representative. Um, representative government is all about representing the community. It's all about bringing the community in. And we do that through our meetings. We do that through our homeowner meetings. We do that through various ways and levels of communication because a lot of times you will be on the floor and you have to make a decision in three seconds. Mm. And so you have to figure out prior to getting there, what is it that your community is feeling? What is it that your community wants? Mm -hmm. um, and so I have been very, very focused on that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not you know, taking any vote for granted. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to as many people as I can. And that is what your representative is supposed to do, to advocate based on what it is that you want them to do.